You know, most podcasts have people wearing headphones, even if they're in the same room with each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you're not making me do that. We don't need to. I don't fully understand. I never, when we were doing, depending on who I'm with, I won't do headphones because it makes people even more uncomfortable. And the point of the headphones, if you're in the same room with somebody, is what? Generally, it's to hear what's being recorded, but that's really an engineer thing. A lot of times, if we were to have a guest on via Zoom right. or via, via call, Zoom, I get it. We'd Be- have to have headphones because on. that's how you get you get to hear the person without yes. creating an echo. I don't know actually why people because the person recording is the one that needs to be listening to the show that needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. You and I just need to talk to each other. You're so magical. You're the person recording and the engineer, and you don't have to wear headphones. You can just talk to me. Hey, flush the toilet! Too busy to flush. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. When this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here. We, uh, Molly and I have been married for... How long? 15 and a half years. We've been married for 15 and a half years. We've got three kids. We live in Montana. Oh my gosh. We have four kids. Was the fact that they were talking tonight about whom they'd like to sell working its way into your subconscious? Or is it the fact that it's 920 and our kids stressed us out tonight? Maybe whom they'd like to sell. It's working its way into my subconscious. <laughs> we have four kids. And I was actually sitting on the couch tonight chuckling to myself the fa- about the fact that we have... Um, Two cats. We have a lot of living creatures running around the house. We've got a dog, two cats, and a rabbit. And it is 20 below right now and colder with wind chill. And they're all cooped up with cabin fever, especially the cats who are used to spending a lot of time outside. They're not happy. It's true. It's true. So anyway, yeah, live in Montana, super cold out right now. And this is the first episode... Uh, that we are we are having in the new studio, um, and I sprung. I like to do things differently, but I sprung for a microphone for Molly. So uh, hopefully you can tell the difference. Uh, well, I don't know. My hope was maybe because for a long time we shared a microphone that picked up from two different sides and that worked pretty well, um, but it also picked up a lot of movement noise: my pants, my shirt, me scratching a leg, something along those lines. So maybe we can kind of kill some of that stuff are you okay. taking a picture I'm, of me or you i took a picture of you now i'm going to take a picture of oh. me with the mic situation okay i've got pictures of both of us i'll post on our telegram of our new mic situation should i take one of where both of us are now i don't know let's try i can't i'm Can gonna bump this i'm gonna bump this fancy new mic not when it's not on portrait itself there we go okay there we go all right, nice. Now you guys know where we are. In our basement. In the new studio, and it's great. So hopefully it sounds good. I'm noticing, I'm just, if I'm slightly distracted, it's because I'm watching the waveform as it's being recorded, and Molly's levels are a little lower than I want, but I'm not going to get up and go fix them now, because they're going to have to restart the show, because I'd reset everything, and I'll just fix it in post. <laughs> sounds good. And my, my main recording interface decided to blow a fuse or something today, and all the lights came on. Seems to work just fine. But if something happens and we only have half a show, you'll know why. There you go. <laughs> I'll just, I'll go take a bath and oh, go to bed. Oh, man. Right? Seriously. Nothing ever comes according to plan. No. Um, I am super thrilled with the new studio setup, though. I do have uh, the first project coming at me. I mean, I've got four projects stacked up already, but I've got another project coming in on Sunday. So I need to get my game on with the work thing. Um, anyway, so you guys, uh, things got a little... Oh, but before I get there, we don't plan the show. So Molly and I sit down. We don't have a plan. Generally, she has a notebook. She's got a notebook in front of her right now. I do, but it just has my things I've been working on this week, not podcast thoughts, because I didn't have any specific podcast thoughts that I was had an agenda for, other than my it's 20 below, what's my meal plan for the week plan. So... Yeah. Fair enough. So we don't plan the show. So most of what we talk about is not. Um, we don't. We don't. We don't plan it. Um, if you want to know, and the reason where... we do that, let me just interject this, is because 
we feel like this is a an act of virtual hospitality where we're basically having the same conversations with each other that we would be having with you and each other and us if we were sitting around our table finishing our wine after we'd had dinner together. Supper, if you're someone in the South. Yeah. Dinner. Anyway, JR was about to say where you can find a roadmap of what we're talking about. Um, yes, if you go to the show notes, I'll have it timestamped with general um, overarching uh, <clears throat> overarching guidelines on, on not guidelines. Guidelines is dumb word. You know, just what I. By the way, you guys, stamped. we're recording at nine thirty at night. Which is... And I'm distracted by making sure all the technical working because I'm going to record an entire hour and have no idea and really have not have any. I mean, I tested everything and it sounds good, but you never know. Yep. You never know. And time so is anyway, precious. We don't you guys, like things waste got it. quite spicy this week. It's my favorite word for what was going on on, on Telegram. Um, it started out with a series of articles. Not articles. It, it started a, out with a couple of threads, th- posts. two threads posts from a guy named Anthony Bradley. Um, he is a black professor, theologian, intellectual, smarter person than I am uh, on the interwebs. Where is he? Where is he teaching? I don't actually I don't know. Remember. I could I could do a quick Google of him. Yeah, I um, mean, if you were in previous reformed circles. What do you mean, previous Reformed? If, if you, you were in a reformed, reformed circle, circles, you would know who Anthony Bradley is. He's at King's College in New York City. Okay, King's College. Isn't that what's-his-name's college? The, yeah, the Indian guy. Yeah, the Indian guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so his... I don't have the quotes in He's front of me. He's also a research fellow for the Acton Institute. This is exactly why we don't... This is what happens when we don't plan the show. I start talking, and I'm like, I really should have had that pulled up ahead of time. Um, so what happened was Molly posted a couple of things and one of our lovely friends, and I don't mean that sarcastically. I really do think the man is lovely. All of the people on our telegram group are awesome to be quite frank. Um, but anyway, he, so, he made a comment about effeminate manliness. Let me, we should just kind of start from the beginning actually. Yeah. I don't even, it's so um, far back, but I mean, I actually, as I was musing on my I've way got it right here. downstairs i'm uh, yeah it's way back so the first are you There's gonna read the whole of, thread well i don't have to read the whole thread anyway he says i've changed my mind i used to think that conservative evangelicals valued the role of fathers i no longer believe that a 30-year study shows that the most important determinant of faith persistence in kids is the relational warmth of fathers then grandfathers I cannot name a single pastor or church in America that structures children or youth programming around this fact. Conservative churches wrongly focus on fathers as spiritual heads when fathers as relational and affection heads matters 100 times more than leading a family devotion. Um, And then he he goes on to say a couple more important Mm -hmm. things. Uh, And I'm going to I'm going to have Jr. put these links in the show notes. So if you want to reread them yourself, uh, you can do that. I just sent you the link to this one so that okay. you have it in your texts. He goes on to say the data is clear that the father's role trumps the mother's, which uh, has been data that's been true for many years, that if mom takes kids to church, it has less of an impact on the kids persevering in faith than if mom and dad take the kids to church or if just dad takes the kids to church. That's a pretty well-known fact now. But, um, but what his... His point is, let's not assume that fathers at home should be many pastors, but that they need to integrate relational warmth with spiritual nurture. That, he says, is the combination, which, which is what sets a father apart from, from say, a pastor. Uh, that you need the spiritual warmth paired with the, or the relational warmth paired with the spiritual nurture. And his... His point is, which I think is very provocative, is if if this is what the data is clearly saying, which 
granted that maybe what the data is clearly saying, but I've never heard this data before. So it has to be data that, first of all, makes it to people before it can impact behavior. But he's saying this should impact how churches think about discipling families, because the most important thing that a church should be helping cultivate in a family is the relationship between a godly father and his godly children, not the teaching from a godly father to his children. The loving, not the teaching. I mean, it's the, you know, the one saying that I've heard over years is that behavior is caught, not taught, or faith is caught, not taught. So in this case, what you are... And I think that, I mean, this is the part of, this is actually the the Anthony Bradley one of the two threads that I shared that I thought about the least. But as I'm thinking about it now, it seems to ring very true, especially if we're teaching kids that God is your heavenly father. Um, we, God is relationally warm to us as well as a lawgiver and a teacher. And it's the relational warmth that draws us in and gets us to last because if we're if we're in suffering david doesn't say oh god you've taught me so many great things that are true about who you are he cites the true things about who god is in in the context of his warm relationship with god does he expound does bradley expound on what relational warmth he does not looks like he just says relational warmth. i was kind of contemplating that um like, oh, we're going to go out and have a good time. I'm going to have a moment with my son. We're going to go camp or we're going to go have, if you're older, you know, we're going to have beers together or I'm going to hug him. Like, I'm trying to figure out how, like, what, what constitutes relational warmth and how would that translate as he was talking about, you know, uh, programmatically, if mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, in a church. How would you, how would you work that out? Would you simply make it a point to disciple men and fathers in encouraging, in encouraging them, in that them or would it be something that you would, you know, do things know. to facilitate. Yeah. Relationship? Do fi- yeah. Maybe. I don't know. You what... know, I, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't have answers to that, but if people out there on telegram have answers to that, that'd be great. You know, like, does my father even like me sort of things? Well, I mean that—that's a real low bar for <laughs> relational warmth. <laughs> I mean, half the kids in America don't even have fathers, right? Well, now. Well, yeah, that's one Sorry, thing. That being that's one thing for I'm sure. Taking, I'm not taking show notes. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to things. But also, <laughs> the other—the other thing that comes to mind for me is relational warmth. Almost certainly has something to do with quantity of time, not necessarily just quality. So in America. For this is shifting because the data is prove is bearing out that quality time is not superior to quantity of time in terms of relationship between parents and kids. Wait, what quality I, is not what, superior to quantity. Exactly. What I mean oh, by that is if you if you work sixty hours a week, if you as dad work out of the house sixty hours a week, and you you. Maybe make it home for some family dinners. You don't show up for their sporting events, but you're like, I'm going to take my kid out for coffee on Saturday morning. And for two hours, he's going to have my undivided attention and I'm going to go through this Bible study with him. That has less value in shaping the kid's life than being at the family dinners. If you do nothing spiritual at those family dinners besides offer a quick prayer beforehand, that has more impact on your relationship with your kids, their perception of their relationship with you. If you're there at bedtime, if you're there there at the sporting events, parenting data says quantity, there is no such thing as quality versus quantity and that you can make up for quality time by a lack for a lack of quantity time quantity time in the world of parenting is where the quality is you can't just be there and be real present for a couple hours a week um so on that topic i watched wow that i mean that's it's this sorry i'm just i don't have any specific studies to back this up but it's true well and if that's if that's what this study is getting to and maybe we should you know somebody can look it up that's 
huge mm-hmm. in our culture because how many parents are, how many not just not just a dad, how many both parents are just not around ever. This the is most a- input the kids have in their lives is from a caretaker, a caregiver, their friends, or somebody else. Yes, I can I can actually point you to this in terms of a mother child relationship because I watched a podcast this week between Lila Rose, who is the pro-life advocate speaker gal and a gal named erica commissar Mm -hmm. who erica commissar is she's one of those people who was politically liberal and then wrote a book that ruffled liberal feathers and couldn't gain a hearing in the liberal world and so places like the independent women's forum started giving her a platform even though they didn't necessarily agree with everything she said they felt like it was valuable enough that they platformed her and um so, so Erica Commissar in this interview with Lila Rose, uh, and I can send JR the YouTube for this. It's a very long interview, but I will attempt to also have him note the timestamp for the particular comment that I'm going for. Okay. Uh, she says that um, in the earth, so she wrote a book called Being There or Just Be There. I think it's called Being There. You can buy it on Amazon. She, as a psychologist in upscale, mostly liberal, progressive families in New York City, had was seeing this cascade of kids with crazy amounts of mental health problems, anxiety, etc. And she basically says in her book, there's a crucial mother-child bonding experience that happens in the first three years of their life such that kids will develop all sorts of mental health issues if their mother, mother, is not their primary caregiver for the first three years of their lives. And so she says, those moms, if you're going to choose to have kids, you need to make it a priority to be there. That's why her book is called Being There. For the majority of their waking hours during the first three years of their life. And she says she, this is where most conservatives would take odds with her, she thinks that the government should provide some sort of income for mothers to enable them to be able to afford losing three years worth of work for every child they have. So so one of her, and this is actually something that Independent Women's Forum would agree with her on. I mean, that's where Independent Women's Forum is like, really? Right, three right. years of pay? But, but IWF does think that women should be able to draw social security early for an extended um, Interesting. maternity leave. Because I mean, the maternity leave in America is shockingly short compared to other countries. And it really does shortchange, first of all, a mother's healing from the physical trauma of giving birth that some people say it takes up to two years to rebuild your body from building a baby and then birthing it, um, but also gives you more time to do this very crucial infant mother bonding. And there's all sorts of things going on in an infant's body and nervous system and immune system that require physical contact with mom for much of their day, which obviously if it's not happening, um, you know, when you go back to work after eight weeks, that none of that is happening. So Com- Commissar says in her interview with Layla Rose, she says, I realize this isn't, impo- this isn't possible for a lot of people. And in fact, she said the nanny that I, so she did not stop working during the course. I think she has two kids of having her two kids, but she structured her writing time during nap times. And she did a several hours of therapy work per day but out of her home and the nanny would come to their home and then she would I think also work after the kids went to bed so she continued working but at a much scaled back level uh, during the first three years of her kids' life based on the evidence that she saw from her own practice and from her research and she says, my nanny, though, who was coming to my home, helping me care for my kids so that I could be the primary caregiver in my home while still taking care of my kids. She says that nanny, I believe she was a widow. Something happened. So she was a single mom. 
And she said the real like there was a really important dynamic that the mom would so every day when you're away from young kids, there's a break in the relationship and the kids feel abandoned and scared and resentful. And she said the the important part for this nanny was to come home every day and say, I missed you guys so much. I'm so sad that I couldn't spend my day with you. I love you kids. And if I had my rat, my druthers, I would spend my day doing nothing but being with you guys and caring for you. And literally every day she would work on rebuilding the relationship with her kids that had been broken by her not being with them. And Commissar says, you can do this with a baby that you think is too, too young to actually process that. And so there's damage being done to kids who see that mom is happier outside of the home that they and they they grow in this resentfulness that uh results in a break and she goes on to say if you actually are happier outside of the home than in the home with your kids you probably have like some sort of attachment disorder from your own mom and she goes on and on with that but but <laughs> so okay so that's that's a really important interesting thing talking about you know relational warmth at least where moms are concerned quantity time is quality time. You can't just come home from work and really focus on your kids for the uh, the two hours that you have before bedtime and make up for not being there all day for them. That is specifically the data from Commissar is like three years and younger. And then she's like, you know, then you can go back to work and kids can actually mentally process being away and be okay. And then they're in school and all the things. The other thing that she says is really interesting is that mothers need to be the primary caregivers for these young babies because both mom and dad have a release of oxytocin, which is the feel-good and bonding hormone between a parent and a child, also between spouses. Uh, What's really interesting is when you have skin-to-skin contact with your baby, whether you're the mother or the father, you have a release of oxytocin in your body moms for moms it gives this very nurturing protective calming soothing impulse to us which is what a baby's nervous system needs to develop appropriately in those first few months of life dads the oxytocin makes them playful with their kids makes them want to tickle and throw the baby in the air and do whatever it takes to get the baby to belly laugh and all these things which is great. Babies need both mom and dad interacting with them in that way, but not in the first few months. So God's design to have mom breastfeeding or being the primary nurturer is actually a design that helps the baby's immune, uh, nervous system. I don't remember wanting to tickle and do all that stuff for the first couple of months anyway. But you're still like, like you're Even not. Lily, I didn't. You guys, I didn't like my second born. For the first, I don't know, six months of her life. Because every time I came home from work, all she did was scream and cry and be miserable. (laughs) With Titus, it'd be two in the morning and I'd be watching some really weird Japanese horror Netflix movie. And I'd be like, you know, rocking Tito to sleep so Molly could try to get her rest. And I felt like really chivalrous and all the things. But you never see mom like holding the baby with one hand up in the air. No, dad's always doing it. Right. There's and a photo of me throwing Titus up in the air, and he's, like, way up there. But he was, like, over a year well, by true. that time. He was, time. like, two, year and a half. But, yes, but the interesting thing about it is it's the same hormone affecting us to express love in different ways, to express nurture and care to our kids in different ways. And Commissar goes on to say, if if dad is the primary caregiver, or I would go far as go in like take that a step further and say if you have two dads for one baby uh you're at risk of having an overstimulated baby even if they're caring for the baby deeply uh dad is ha- will have to have go be trained to go against his nature in the nature being to be playful rather than to be soothing and calming to a baby hmm. Anyway, that's that's just uh, that thought that was really interesting from that podcast, but it goes to the point of saying, you know, where we were saying with the Bradley thing, quality time is going to produce, I think, more relational warmth I, than dedicated teaching time to yeah. kids. I mean, I, I think I can think specifically of quite a few guys in my life who work, 
insane amounts of hours. Some of that is by choice. Some of that is by necessity. And that necessity is somewhat driven by choice of career. Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of really difficult, wisdom-oriented, you know, decisions yeah, totally. and stuff to think about in that. But, you know, I... And I... Man, I I think about that, and I think or you think th- about military dads who are deployed for four, five, six months. Yeah, at a time. and yeah. the kids don't see yeah. any. But I think I think the same commissar comment about repairing the wound by expressing that you miss your kid, whether you're a dad deployed in the Middle East and you're facetiming your kids, saying I miss you and I'm sad that I'm away from you during this time, or you know, if you're on the road for work and you're FaceTiming your kids, like to simply say, I miss you and I wish it didn't have to be this way. Or a dad who's working, you know, the night shift and not seeing his kids a lot during the day, expressing the fact that your preference would be to be with your kids, I think indicates relational warmth in a way that tell, like, tells your kids that you want to be spending time with them. Yeah, I think I would probably, you know, I don't think one of kind of the <laughs> kind of the reason things got spicy on on threads was because there were some we the conversation steered itself towards churches. But that was what, more in reaction to the second threads commentary. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the second threads commentary? So the second I can one bring that up really good. Yep. It was funny though. I just I cracked myself up. I'm not gonna say who it, who it was. Everybody on, but I I love. I just I I think he's great. I thought it was really funny because I've got he made a comment about a man bun. Do you have like, it pulled up right bun. now? I do. I do. Do you um, want to read it or do you want me to? So, Bradley goes on to say. Thoughts? Can we stop whining about young Christian guys following Peterson, Rogan, Tate, etc.? These men aren't a problem. Neither is YouTube. The problem is that other men in their li- in the lives of teens aren't compelling. Youth group, Christian schools, infantil- infantilized. infantilized boys with moralism. Also, the problem is that many of their own fathers aren't speaking greatness into the core issues in their sons' lives. Fathers aren't empowered or encouraged because for some silly reason, we think teens need to listen to a 24-year-old who's cool and fun. Um... Peterson, Rogan, Tate, etc. say hard things and they don't coddle lads. They've all tapped into the fact that boys want significance, ambition, and achievement. They're all good things. Sadly, many Christian lads are being told that greatness is missions and church work. Make your life count for the Lord. They should be told things like this. We need some of you to create massive business empires, empires that employ thousands of people, not to donate that money to missions, but because creating jobs is redemptive, since it allows people to feed their families, and that's awesome. Go solve some problems. They also need to be told things like, go back to your hometown, teach second grade, teach kids music because we need godly people in the arts, because it's good. Or just get a job, live quietly and be a great dad. Adopt some kids, be the dad all the neighborhood kids trust, etc. Um, he says, I've been working with students. I'm just going to read the whole thing because I okay. think it completes right. the thought. I've been working with students in this area since 1999. And right now the finger is being pointed at the wrong things. The solution man up and produce better and more compelling content protest through greatness. Instead of whining and blaming compete and win with more outstanding content. That's truly challenging and aspirational. Weak and lazy leaders will, will say, they won't listen to us because we'll demand real change. Oh, please, you're not paying attention. That's not it. In just a few years, Hamza, whom I've never heard of, went from a few hundred subscribers to 2.3 million YouTube subs by telling teens to delete TikTok, Instagram, stop watching porn, eliminate video games, etc. He told guys to focus on their mental health and pursue excellence. As long as teens are given... Something as lame as quote unquote servant leadership, don't be surprised that they're listening to men like Hamza, Patrick, Bet, David, Peterson, etc. The culture isn't the problem, the weakness is the two percent milk teen boys get when they deserve ribeyes. Hmm. Do you think a lot of this is driven? Um, 
So I don't disagree with him. I, unfortunately, I do hear echoes of John Eldridge, and you know, and, and you know who else I hear in that uh, is Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll. Yep, I hear a lot of yeah echoes of Mark Driscoll there, but I don't necessarily think that's bad. I think you do need to teach your kids missions. I mean, if you look, here's how I look at it. If you look at scripture, uh, scripture says here's what's important. It's not your career. It's not your ambitions. It's it's the kingdom of God. It's missions. It's and I've been increasingly can you know. But but I don't think Bradley would agree with that okay, because the fine. kingdom of God is not just missions. Fair. No, I, and and that's and I I totally agree because the kingdom. What did God design us to do? He designed us to live on this planet, foster, grow the kingdom, nurture the earth, take care of animals, propagate, be successful. And to find satisfaction yes. and joy in the work in of the our Lord. hands. Yeah. What in is the, the chief, work of our hands. What is the chief end of man? Given... To glorify God and enjoy him forever, not to go out Right, and but then how do churches. we do that in a broken world? Ecclesiastes, eat some food, good food, drink some good wine, enjoy some good fellowship, and be satisfied in working hard. Yes. Now, the rub comes in today's culture specifically when, and I'd be interested to hear you just let go off on it. When masculinity has been emasculated, men are becoming women. It's not cool to be a cisgender white male that likes to go out and hunt. Um, I should have brought in race. But point being, men are not encouraged to be men. It's frowned upon to have, you know, toxic masculinity. Okay, do you know anything about Andrew Tate? Nothing. I don't know anything about Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate is a guy who literally... Runs. I I tried to learn some more about him earlier this summer because I watched an Ali Stuckey podcast about him, and uh, she was responding to the fact that he is wildly popular with young men. He runs a course, an online course, to like I can't remember the term of it. It has a, a name, but it's basically get as many women sexually serving oh, you and I know hooked who you're on talking you as about. possible. He's the guy who was arrested in like about. Romania or something for yeah, on some yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of trumped he comes up, up all the, He comes up all and the he's, time. He's, I don't know what he race comes he up is. All the time he's in a person my, of color though. He's really brash. Um, he's like a bodybuilder. He, he is a former kickboxer. He comes up all the time in my uh, in my Instagram feed on taking a course on how to be a man. And like his... His, His version of version manliness, of manliness is, is like, disgusting. Yeah, it's set out and conquer everything, including women. Yes, yes. Um, it's just it's disgusting if you, and he is wildly popular because because young men are dissatisfied and disgusted with what, especially in Western culture, they're told manliness is. And so, so the reason Anthony Bradley is mentioning him is there's Christians who are rightly saying, oh my gosh, it's terrible that young men in our culture are taking their cues on what manliness is from him because they will truly turn into toxic men who, who do not do any, embody anything biblical about loving the least of these about caring for the people in your in your in your sphere he is all about self and he is all about using women is one of his key shticks that he's literally makes money teaching other men how to do and so what bradley is saying is here is a a vision of manliness that young men in our culture are finding very attractive and Jordan Peterson is far less toxic, but possibly no less dangerous because he's more like what screw tape gets advised in the screw tape letters. He's not a believer. And so what he's advocating for people to do is ultimately going to set them on maybe a more satisfying path in life, but it's still a path to hell because they're they're focusing on self rather than trusting in the Lord to save them. And then to redeem their experience of manliness in a broken world. And so what's really interesting to me, though, is, yes, like, I have not given a whole lot of thought. I think partly because 
the world of Montana where there are still so many men in churches <laughs> who build things, who hunt, who can change their own tire, who really have a lot of these stereotypical manly traits. And so we don't have churches that are quite as emasculated as some people will complain that American evangelical churches are. But I think that what he's getting at is, and then where the, where the telegram discussion went, gets to what I'm trying to accomplish with some of my Canavox work this year, which is how do we teach the young boy who, you know, as, as Bradley mentions in this thread string, wants to teach second grade, you know, second grade, and is fantastic at teaching art to second graders. Uh, how do we encourage him to be the man that God designed him to be while at the same time encouraging the kid who loves rock climbing and is a ace with a bow and arrow in fifth grade, you know, and how do we encourage him to become a godly man? And at some point we have to be able to distill down what does it mean to be a man in a way that applies universally and healthily, if that's a word, to people that God made to be very individual and very unique. And I have two thoughts, one of which is the series that we did, I don't know, did we do it last fall? I think it was last fall, about masculinity, where I did that dive into the sociologist who'd studied all those cultures and had come up with his three P's of manliness that were... Provision, protection, and and procreation. procreation. Um, And so those seem to be, however you live those out, and I will just remind people listening, because I'm going to just go ahead and assume that you didn't spend half of your week reading this long series of articles like I did. He he talks about how this was easier to to have a lived experience of in in pre pre modern days where it was actually important for the man to be able to provide the protein for the family and that it was actually dangerous for you know you to protect the boundaries of your tribe and how manliness was defined was impacted by the fact that a man would stand would look at you and say would I be willing to trust this man standing next to me in battle and that essentially whatever qualities you would want someone standing next to you in a battle exhibited that became the definition of manliness for your culture. So the author of that series goes on to say, I want to say his name is Brett McKay, but he goes on. I'll link it in the show notes. He goes on to say in our modern culture, this is very difficult because we are not, you know, men and women provide on a pretty much equal basis. Uh, Also, you know, you're not putting your life in danger generally when you're protecting, um, you know. And so what does it look like to believe that these three P's are universal across the globe as well as history and to live those out in this day and age? So I think that that is an important thing to to think about when we come to the question of how do we encourage healthy masculinity in the church? Also, uh, I think there's something very, very visceral about the fact that men really do need something to protect and something to like feel, you know, a dragon to slay, so to speak. And my friend Lucas at Canavox talks about guys, uh, you know, if they don't have an actual dragon, get, get that itch scratched through video games. And so that's how video games can become. Oh, it's great. I'll send Me you. can run around in a PvP and just... I had to get rid of uh, Call of Duty Mobile. Best game ever, you so guys. Addictive. When I could do the... do They have one where you start out with like 20 of you. And then you you kill each other until you're down to one. you got this big map. Oh it's like gosh. Fortnite. And the map just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So you have to go find caches of weapons and go do things. And there's strategies behind it. Um, when you're the one that wins... There oh, is yeah. a, you it's are, you are, it's, it's not, I mean, I mean, it's not just the best. You're actually experiencing 
a chemical an endorphin rush. Oh yeah, I am. That's that's designed for actually accomplishing something. <laughs> yes. So I had to get rid of it so I could go actually accomplish something meaningful rather than, you know, virtual investing in the dollar. But it is actually tapping into a deeply masculine I mean even the way they design video games for men versus women taps into a masculine nature and a feminine nature that is very hard to define because we are such unique individuals and live out our own unique call as God designed us but there's something very much at the core where men for the you know more men you know there's a Venn diagram right and there's overlap between what men are going to find addictive in a video game and what women are but there's also a huge part of that circle that's just men and a huge part of the circle that's just women and uh and their designers video game designers know this intuitively or maybe there's research that I haven't seen tapping into that anyway i think that is really important to understand as we parse out like can you wear a man bun and be a manly man in the church you know (laughs) i hope so because i have a man bun or you you know i don't think so this particular telegram user just said you know the stereotype is skinny jeans man bun and uh starbucks coffee and i totally i can i totally absolutely know know exactly who he's talking about you know what that comment made me think of do you remember when my brother was going to that really artsy church in downtown chicago and the jeans were way too skinny yeah he was like this guy was not and he was wearing in downtown chicago was wearing a red and black lumberjack flannel shirt tucked into his skinny jeans and my brother was like i don't have anything against skinny jeans but this guy does not have a body for skinny jeans. no he was one of those like (laughs) five foot seveners five foot sixers who just kind of he was he was chubby he had he had fluff on him and it's like no that doesn't work um no i know exactly who i mean we can all picture i think we did we did all picture and um so i just i thought it was funny i was like hey now i have a man bun you know um but i know who we all picture and i i don't i would probably say um somebody who gravitates towards that particular look would probably gravitate towards something more effeminate. That said, I don't see anything particular not masking about about man buns. But we also had this conversation about skirts. Remember that? When I was like I dudes do. wearing like dudes wear skirts all over the place in Bangladesh. It's just the thing. Um But and what was my answer? Do you remember my answer? I don't remember. Because your it actually came up in that telegram conversation, which is that your cl- that is that clothing is a form of language. Right. It is a form of communication. Your look. And what you choose to wear, you are deliberately communicating something by it. And Brad Pitt, when he wore a skirt to some movie premiere in Germany, he I don't know if we talked about this on the show. I know I talked about it in my Canavox group because I found this article about him when some some news outlet, Vanity Fair or something, was like, hey, what's with the skirt? And it wasn't like he pulled it off of the Goodwill rack and was like, right. I don't know, maybe No, it looked this. like something like JCPenney or whatever. He designed it. There you go. He selected the fabric and he, in partnership with a designer, designed it. It was very deliberate. It wasn't some last minute decision. You don't design clothes for a movie premiere at the last minute. And when Vanity Fair, I think it was Vanity Fair, asked him, what, what's the deal with it? He said, we're all going to die, so we may as well mess it up anyway. <laughs> Which to me says, I mean. Or he's trolling the world right he now. He could I'd... be trolling the world. He could also, I don't know who, who cynically pointed this out, but he also is in a lot of, uh, he's, not, he's not the most popular person because of his personal life. You know, he gets a lot of bad press because of what his kids say about him. Mm-hmm. And so he could have just been trying to deflect, uh, you know, what, you know, change the, right. change the conversation about himself. So if you Google Brad Pitt, you don't get all of his kids hate him. You get Brad Pitt wore a skirt. But, but if he did indeed even remotely mean what he said, we're all going to die, so we may as well just mess it up anyway. It's just a very nihilistic statement that goes along with a worldview that says there's no right or wrong, there's no standard of truth, and it doesn't matter in the end anyway. Whereas I want to, I want to encourage people to think, no matter what you wear, 
you are using your personal aesthetic as a way of trying to communicate something about yourself to the world. And you can never shrug that off. You can never say, no, my clothes don't mean anything. My look doesn't mean anything. That's not true. You're wearing what you're wearing out in public as a way of communicating something about yourself to the world. And I mean, my, my, what I'm this communicating week, to the world today. what I'm wearing today, is I'm really cold. <laughs> no, I was thinking about that when I, yeah, same, same. You guys, I bought this puffy skirt at Costco.com on clearance for like $8 oh, a couple years ago. It's like fleece lined. It's not down, but it's, um, I can't find one. For under like a hundred dollars, and now I've been online. I've been contemplating buying her one with one of my outdoor. I get some pro deals with uh, my ski patrol work, and I've been contemplating on buying her an outdoor research one forever because they've had them forever. So and this just one never from Costco for like eight dollars is it's Way absolutely brilliant. It's so crazy how much difference it makes to have a lay basically a down quilt wrapped around your, your midsection and your legs. Anyway, um, it's also really nice, men. Guys, it's really nice to look at. Oh my gosh, it's so puffy and lumpy. It's not nice to look at. It is nice I look to at look myself at. in the mirror. I'm like, I am formless and void. Nah, right baby, now. <laughs> no way, baby. You got curves, honey. So it, mm, you say curves, delicious. I say lumps. Potato, potato. <laughs> delicious. <laughs> anyway, squeezable, uh, squishy. Lumps. Anyway, yes, our aesthetic right now is <laughs> it's cold outside, and I'm trying to stay warm. And I have a man bun. But I like my man bun. Molly likes my man bun. My dad, and my dad listens to the show, so he's going to be chuckling about this when he's wandering around the shop. He he said, you will know, when he had really long, so he right before, two years before COVID, he got, uh, he lost a job and was going into some independent work. So he decided to grow his hair out. And he grew his hair out really long. And he's it was like, like down in the middle of his back. Always wore a ponytail. Said, you will never catch me in a man bun. Dad, Ponytails are just as effeminate. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean, that's a culturally in you know embodied statement. I can hear um, now. He's gonna pause. He's gonna come find me and comment about it. I mean, think it, think about think about. So I went to a Lewis and Clark day at that was presented for students at a local college. It was put on by a retired elementary school teacher mm-hmm. and she's coordinated this for 17 years. And it's, it's actually a very impressive event. She, we went through six different stations at a half hour each and got things like we had a whole, and where I'm going with this is a video that we watched. It was, it was a again. 30 minute session on uh, a merit. Uh, what was it? There's an acronym for it. Plains Indians hand Plains Indian Sign Language, P-I-S-L, but the short version for it, what they would say is hand talk. And so all these different tribes, there were something like 500 different Native American dialects in America around the time of Lewis and Clark, and they had developed this universal hand talk. So like horses, you use one hand as a horse and another person as the rider, like on top of the horse. And they had actions for different colors, like if you touch your lips, it's red, uh, I believe it was crow women. The The hand talk for crow women was you would put your fist on your forehead, or right at the top of your forehead at your hairline, mm-hmm. because crow women would braid their hair and then put it in a bun, like right at their hairline. And that was the best way to keep it tidy and neat while you're doing all the things that crow women in the time in the 1800s did. Yeah. Um, but um, she showed a video of I think it was in like the 1920s or the 1930s. It was a very grainy black and white video of two chiefs communicating with each other via hand talk. And so it's you know these truncated sentences because you're only saying the important parts of the sentence. Like instead of uh, I'm going to go set up the teepee, you say you point to yourself, I, and then you do like like there's a sign for set up and then teepee. And so Old school anyway, she shows us, but these, uh, these Indian chiefs of two different tribes that didn't speak the same language were, had very long hair as they did and were very masculine. So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that was a very long way of saying it's I know. very it's, culturally it's, it's, there's conditioned. A, there's a slippery slope there, isn't there? Like, well, first it's long hair, then it's ponytails, it's man buns, it's braids. I remember um, seeing my first biker guy in braids. I was like, that doesn't look very good. But that was the only kid. But I think that's why, to get back to the original point and the Anthony Bradley point, is 
is there is something very, very unique or very distinct between men and women at the creational level. And I, you know, there are people out there who are going to shudder, probably the same people that are very anti-yoga, but they're going to shudder at me using this language. But there's a very, very strong yin and yang component to masculinity and femininity. And I don't think you can define one in a vacuum without defining the other. Because God created Adam and then said it's not good for man to be alone. And so there's this, there's this lack of completeness. And, you know, the yin and yang is these two things fit together into to form one complete whole. And so you can't say what is a woman without un, a, a clear understanding, even if it's hard to articulate, of what is a man. Because we exist, and it's not not necessarily yin and yang in a husband and wife sense. I mean in a global sense that the way men experience the world and contribute to the world is distinct and yet completely complementary to the way that women experience the world and contribute to the world. And again, there's a Venn diagram because you have men who embody more feminine traits and you have women who embody more masculine traits. But if you're going to look at an average, at a bell curve average, you've got these traits that we, I think, can should be able to say, this is a healthy vision of masculinity and here are very healthy embodiments of it. And you know what the best embodiment of masculinity should be in the church is the kid's dad. And whatever, and the kid's dad should, not necessarily always is, but, you know, ideally with the help of other people in his church giving him wisdom, be able to say, if, if you don't necessarily have a vision for masculinity that looks like me. So if I'm, you know, I love to play basketball and I love to hunt and I'm six foot five and muscular and you're going to take after your mom's side of the family and you're going to be, you know, small and you're going to, you know, I'm not necessarily not and talking you about cook. Yeah. And you want to, you, you know, you just absolutely like, what's the movie? Not that that's a feminine What's the movie thing with the rat, ratatouille, you know, like, yeah. you know, if you just absolutely love being in the kitchen and you love the flavors and the aromas of spices and things like that. I find that very masculine. I, I mean, I'm sniffing a whiskey right now, you guys. Like, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is, you love, you love whatever it is, you know, let's help you cultivate that right. in a masculine way and welcome you into a circle of men so that you don't feel alienated from being a guy just because you X. Okay. Would and- you, and this is something I, I, I ran through my head as you were talking. Would it be if you had a men's group at church that met say every Saturday? Um, I think I would encourage men if they haven't been home all week to go home and hang out with their families and not come to the study. If you haven't been home all week hanging out with your kids, don't come do another thing without them. Would that be would that be out of line? Um with in a new way if we were thinking in a new a new way of thinking, the relational warmth quantity does not trump qual or quality does not trump quantity. Mm-hmm. Would this new way of would that be in line with a new way of thinking? I would I would say probably yes, but I would qualify that with, um, what have you been doing all week that you're not home with your kids? <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm I'm thinking, I'm thinking more like if you've been working, if you had a eighty hour a week work schedule, for yeah. instance, and you just it wasn't that you were sloughing off or you decided I mean, to go on okay, a climbing trip or go on vacation it, or whatever. Is, there's a very cynical part of me that's like, you know what, somebody who works eighty hours a week probably isn't going to spend his Saturday morning at the men's Bible study. <laughs> but but. Um, I, I mean, I would want to, um, to know what sources of spiritual nourishment that man is getting. Um, you know, and that's, oh, you know, and, and that's also assuming, is he getting quality, spiritual and relational nourishment from the Saturday morning men's group that he would be sacrificing time with his family in order to invest in? Because, I mean, you can't. You know, the classic airplane thing, you can't put the oxygen mask on your kids without having it on yourself first. So if you don't have something 
healthy to pour into your kid in terms of spending quality time with them or quantity, you know, in terms of spending time with them on that Saturday, um, is there a point to This it? is a really, this is a really hard, um, uh, this is a really difficult friendship pastoral discussion to have with somebody or a wife to have with her husband. <laughs> yeah. Or a wife to have her husband. I mean, this is an incredibly difficult thing to address if you're in that situation or you're married to somebody in that situation or you know somebody in that because I know people in this situation mm-hmm. and at some point you can't like I'm convicted on your behalf. How does yeah, that work? No, you know? I mean, in that, I, if, if it's a friend of yours that you're watching this, I would say you could do a couple of things. One is you could invite them to do things with you and your son. If you happen to have a son of similar age. So mm, you're, yeah. you're creating that an opportunity to have that time together. You can pray for your friend. Never underestimate the power of praying that the Lord would create that conviction on their behalf. If your wife is friends with her, you know, with his wife, uh, she might need an outlet to be encouraged and to safely vent without being judged if that, or without having, how do I say this nicely? Sometimes (laughs) wives maybe get a little frustrated with their husbands. Maybe. And maybe just a little bit. Can I give you, can I give you an example? (laughs) Oh, go for it. (laughs) This is too busy to flush. So, if you can't roast me on the show, I'm not roasting you. I'm oh. not. I'm not roasting you. Okay. I. Well, that's no fun. I got home from the Lewis and Clark thing today, and I was like, "Our laundry room, which is also our mudroom, if you haven't been to our house, you we walk in from the garage into our laundry, laundry room, room slash mudroom, mud and then we walk into storage. our kitchen. Yeah. And I walked in, and I was like, "It smells like gasoline in here," and I just assumed it was because you. Had been, he guys, he just pushed his nose up in a moment of remembrance of what I'm going to say. Oh, I know exactly what I, I assumed that it was because you were doing something in the shop with your dad and you'd gotten gas or something on your clothes. And so I went about my day for about another half hour. And then I realized as I went back into the mudroom, I think I was putting something in the microwave, maybe I was heating up some food for the chickens because they're. You guys, it's like 20 below, and I feel so badly for these poor chickens, so I'm bringing them warm food a couple times a day. So I was microwaving some food for the chickens, and I realized there was an open can of, of paint thinner. Paint thinner. Sitting right next to the Was it paint thinner or mineral spirits? Mineral spirits. Mineral spirits. Mineral spirits. Yeah. And I was like, there's an open oh, can to of totally mineral take care spirits of sitting right next to the microwave. This is why I've been getting a headache. Going in and out of the mudroom all, all for the last hour oh, is man. because so when Jr. stained this very beautiful uh, room that we're now sitting in, I had a headache for about a week because the smell of the stain was. We had our our air purifier on full blast for a week straight down here, and I, had I a still headache. had a headache, and it was coming up through our bedroom vents so badly that I ended up sleeping in the living room for one night because it was just dissipating better into that room. Anyway, all that to say. Do you want to know how I got there? Uh, sure. So my dad had an adventure today in the shop. It's really, really cold. I won't go and get into the adventure, but he was working on trying to get things less cold in the, in the shop. In the meantime, he had an adventure and I took some of the pieces of his adventure and came and tried to, and went to go clean them because I needed water and the only utility sink we have in the whole property for now, I think he's going to put one in the shop, is in our laundry room. And when I grabbed the can of of mineral spirits, I had been working. I'd started working out in the shop and thought, this is going to create more of a mess. So I'm going to go do this in my utility sink. Brought it all the way over. Got everything cleaned up. Took everything back. Totally forgot about the and, there's no, and that also explains why there's no lid for it. And yeah, the lid's <laughs> somewhere on the shop. And I never went back to the mudroom. <laughs> so <laughs> so like it's now so like, it's now covered oh, with a strip man. of saran wrap perfect. over the top yeah, and then a rubber band around it. Most of the time, it. guys just shove a rag in there. And it's on You've your workbench because I didn't even yeah, want fine. it in the room. So all this to say, I, I was a little bit frustrated because I was getting a headache. And I was like, really? You can't even put the lid on the can. So... <laughs> I have I have a dear friend, Addie, 
And I know that she loves you and that she knows that I love you and that she knows. Addie and I have a relationship. Well, no, I mean. Because of you. Right. But what I'm what I'm saying is sometimes it is very beneficial for a wife to be able to be like, I'm so frustrated right now and I would like to just get this off of my chest to someone who is not going to think less of my husband because I say it aloud to somebody. You know, if I were to, well, now I have said it aloud to everybody, but it's this, that's the sort of thing that you don't, like, a daughter doesn't text to her mom about her husband. Oh, man. Or, we could have a whole other show on that. Well, no, I'm just not, we're, we don't have to. I'm just I know, we could. I'm saying. just saying we could. We, we could. could. But so, so, I mean, it's sometimes what I'm saying is, you know, going back to the issue of the man who's working a lot and it seems like everyone around him but him can see that it's wrecking it's it's having a negative impact on his family and it's not necessarily the wisest thing to do to directly tackle that and be like hey dude i know you're crushing it at work but you're failing everywhere else because you're crushing it at work you know like the lord needs to either gently work in his heart or do like the donkey in the path you know sort of um moment for him but that i think most by and large, has to be between him and the Lord. And sometimes I think a wife needs to have someone that is safe for her to just be heard by, uh, while not the person isn't going to be judging the spouse or thinking less of him or, or give, encouraging yeah. negative interactions I was in the say, relationship. Or give, or give poor advice yeah i mean, mean you have to choose you choose your confidants if you will wisely i mean you don't want to turn into a i don't want to put an expletive on the show but you don't want to turn into a crap session on somebody yeah exactly um so uh i think this is an appropriate time though to go to uh, bed no we're gonna to go to bed in a minute <laughs> but i want to just want to point out our favorite uh our favorite talk sermon if you will Ooh, premarital marriage yeah. advice thing if you will is a message by uh, a pastor named Dave Harvey. And it's called God's Mercy in My Marriage. And I'll link that in the show notes. I think Molly at one point found it on YouTube. Because <laughs> we used to carry, I used to keep the we used MP3. to burn CDs, copies yep. of it. And then I started keeping uh, a copy in one of my cloud storage. And I've gone through so many cloud storage services uh, that I would send to people as they needed it. But God's Mercy in My Marriage by Dave Harvey. Um, the premise is just love people and their humanity. Like we just forget things. We're silly. We do. We just, we're just human. So, um, there, um, for there, um, for the most part. So anyway, great, great, great sermon. Molly actually did our, Molly and I actually did his, uh, his study when sinners say I do, Mm -hmm. um, for our premarital pre-engagement counseling. Um, great series. I, you had, he wrote a book on, on, on ambition and I liked where he was going with it, but it just didn't grab me. I never finished it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really liked, it was basically harnessing kind of in line a little bit of what we're talking about that, that there's a natural ambition that God's given us as men. Mm -hmm. We need to harness that and push for that. Um, so and, I, I will, yeah, honor I, that as part of how we're yes, created rather I will, than, rather than guilty, push, yeah, push back or it. feel guilty. Yeah. I will put that link, uh, in the show notes as well. I hope, sorry, I don't know if it was having a microphone in front of me again for the first time in a few years. I used to do this professionally, um, or being in the new studio, but I took really poor notes tonight. So hopefully I will, I will have, uh, links for things and everything makes a little bit of sense i might be listening through as we go so uh that said we are a weekly podcast we are an inconsistent weekly podcast we strive to be a weekly (laughs) meaning we generally do something every seven days what how many days passes between those days we do something is a total uh total crapshoot so um we are a weekly podcast. We'd love to have you subscribe. So please subscribe on uh, your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you happen to be on iTunes, one of the coolest things you can do that's really appreciated is to give us a really positive uh, feedback that gets us into the algorithms a little bit and 
kind of helps our helps our street cred, if you will. Um, if you want to send us a note or engage with our content or us personally, we would love to talk to you. Uh, Molly's the introvert. I'm the extrovert. So I'm sometimes a little more actually probably Molly's a little more engaging. If you go on telegram, we've mentioned that telegram group for a while, uh, on the show. Um, but if you go into the show notes, we have a link to join our private telegram group. We'd love to have you join us and get spicy with us. It's super fun. Everybody is amazing on the group and I'm really looking forward to maybe this year doing uh, a tour, a little bit of a tour in our van. We can come around and have, um, we can kind of meet some of you guys in person for the first time face to face, which would be super, super super fun. fun. Um, so yeah, jump on the telegram group. Uh, A lot of conversations go on in there. We did not get to something I really wanted to ask Molly about the second spicy thing. I know I said there was a couple. The second one was conspiracy theories. Got a little <laughs> exciting just even today on ex- conspiracy theories. So I was going to have Molly share her favorite one recently, which actually, um, anyway, one. but I won't, um, I don't, I won't, I don't like we'll, talking about conspiracy theories. I'd rather just text memes about it, which is fine. That's, that's cool. I'm convinced everybody just, I don't trust anybody anymore, but anyway, so, um, <laughs> right. That was a rabbit trail. Um, <laughs> telegram. If you want to, if you don't want to join the Telegram group, but you do want to share your thoughts with us about the name of the show or our content of the show or something we talked about on the show or to correct us on something, feel free. Um, you can email us at tb, the number 2f, tb2f at pm.me, or you can jump on our website, www.toobusytoflush, all grammatically correct, toobusytoflush.com, or again, tb2f.com. Scroll all the way down. You can set us a postcard. Or And while you're there, please go swing on over the Swag Shack and pick yourself up some gear. We've got some neat, uh, cool stuff. Any link we've uh, put in the show notes generally is linked to an Amazon Associates account. So we do get a little bit of a kickback, which I really appreciate because um, we don't spend a lot of money on the show. (laughs) I spend a lot of money professionally, but we don't spend a lot of money on the show. um, But there is like you know, our website fees and hosting fees and all of those things that go into publishing a podcast. So your support is very, very welcome. But again, the biggest thing you can do to support is to uh, share us with your friends, refer us to your friends. If you guys swap podcasts and just say, I'm listening to this today. It's really great. Um, If you do think we're really great, don't do it. If you think we're terrible. If you think we're really great, go ahead and share us with your friends. We really appreciate that. Um, other than that, that's all I... Um, <clears throat> you have anything to add, babe? Uh, 